Welcome back to the Phthalate Peat Nutrition Podcast. This week, we've got a listener question about salt. The two different lenses we're going to look at this through is one through the lens of backpacking. When you're in the backcountry, maybe it's the summer months, maybe it's warm, maybe it's in the winter months. How does the sodium intake affect your health, your performance, and what are some recommendations you should look to follow around that? The second lens that we're going to view it through is through general health. What about general health conditions, everyday salt intake from a more general nutrition approach as opposed to the backcountry? You enjoy the episode. All right. Question number two. Is salt bad? What's your what's your salt preference? Like whenever we cook dinner at home, do you like things more or less salty than I do, more or less salty than I make them? Yes, I add salt to just about everything. We eat fairly bland. We eat fairly bland. That's <laughs> just how it is. Um, so I I like salty things. That's my go-to snack would be something that's more salty versus savory, I think. So I tend to go more toward salty type snacks. I like chips and more chips and dips and I don't know. I I I'm a salt I'm a salt person. First of all, we don't eat bland, do we? Our go-to food every single week is three chicken breasts put into the instant pot um and then we sprinkle some garlic salt on them i've started trying to add a few more seasonings when it's my turn to do that but yes we eat very bland we eat plain broccoli and plain chicken and plain noodles and plain just about everything so i am i add salt i add dip dressings that sort of thing but i do like veggie wise um, however you bake them in the oven which maybe you can add this to some show notes you bake them in the oven and they're crispy and they seem saltier than normal, but yeah, that's super easy. It's just basically sliced vegetables. I spray them with some cooking spray, sprinkle a pretty abundant amount of salt on them and <laughs> bake them. So, uh, I, I didn't think that it was that bland, but evidently it is. So history to this, I think it's important to give some background because this, this, this question comes in a lot and it's always around backpacking season. It's always around hunting season. And it's always as people go buy a lot of the pre-packaged dehydrated meals, you look at the back at that. And number one, the first thing you notice is, holy smokes, this thing doesn't even expire until 2050. What is in it? <laughs> and then the second thing is, look at the sodium content. It's crazy high. So you really have to view this, um, knowing that knowing that, that is, is, is the question that comes in a lot. And <clears throat> knowing that a lot of the people that listen to this are involved in that activity in some degree. You have to look at it through two lenses. One, the lens of in the backcountry. Two, in the lens of general health. Just to clarify, I only think I know this because we've made homemade jerky and I grew up in a small town where people make things from scratch and process their own meat and whatnot. The reason why there is so much sodium or salt, I should say, in some canned foods and prepackaged foods in how a lot of meat is prepared like jerky is because that's how the meat or something in the bag or whatever keeps correct yeah so historically salt is used to preserve salt and the removal of water is like the number one preservation well aside from refrigerating or freezing the number one preservations for keeping food for prolonged periods of time so like in the case of jerky yeah, people will add a ton of sodium and then you throw it in. Well, your dad throws it in a smoker and then he throws it in a dehydrator. 
but a lot of people will just dehydrate it. So you're doing both. You're doing the combo of adding loads of salt plus removing the water. And that's why that stuff can stay good for a long time. And that's why a lot of dehydrated meals and freeze dried meals are also good. You've basically removed all the water and you've added a boatload of sodium. So in the context of, let's just talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about the general health thing. I think you have to view it again through the lens of a couple of things. So we are looking at it through the lens of backpacking and being in the backcountry and doing hard things in the summer, the fall when it's hot outside, et cetera. And then we're viewing it through the lens of general health. Under that same lens of general health, you have to view it through two additional lenses. General population, people with no chronic medical problems, people with chronic medical problems. General population, which is going to account for a large majority of the people probably listening to this, there is no over, there's no, there's no significant worry to having some salt consumption. Now, they, like everything in the world of nutrition, it's always the dose that's going to make the poison, even for the general population. The, the big concern is that we overdo it so much to the point that it drives up or puts us in a state of chronic, long-term high blood pressure. The greatest problem with that is then it starts to cause problems with major organs, kidneys and heart being some of the big ones. Now, at what point or what threshold is that reached? Is it one teaspoon? Is it a bunch of them? The average American consumes somewhere around 3,500 to 4,000 milligrams sodium per day. Higher end, people that rely more on restaurants and packaged food for their, for their nutrition is at like 5,000 to 6,000 milligrams general recommendation from the American Heart Association is 1500. So average American is at least double. Most Americans who eat out a lot don't cook for themselves almost at triple. And the American Heart Association is saying we should go lower than that. I stand somewhere in the middle. I think like a 2000 milligram intake per day, which would be one teaspoon of sodium is probably okay for the general population. There are some arguments, validly so, and this is where it's highly individualized, where you could go as high as four and 5,000 and still not be in any issue. For those people, those are people who are highly active and losing a lot of sodium in their, in their activity. I think you hit on it. I, maybe I missed it. Those milligrams that you said, a lot of sodium or salt consumption is, if I were going to just do straight salt and get a teaspoon or a tablespoon, how much is that per day? Just so I can picture it. 2,300 milligrams is in one teaspoon. So if you were to literally get out a teaspoon measuring spoon and pour salt in there, that's 2,300 milligrams. And that's more than what is recommended per day? Yeah, but there is a lot of argument with the general recommendation of 1,500 milligrams per day. And like, as a dietitian, I worked in cardiovascular ICU. So I had to educate people a lot on low sodium diets, et cetera. I knew sodium amounts in certain food. If you were picking your food from a garden, killing your own chickens and raising your own eggs, it would be very, very, very challenging to even still hit 1500 milligrams per day or less. I mean, it's, it's, it is possible, but if you're purchasing, take like chicken breast, for example, frozen, fresh chicken breast, 
those are almost always generally brined in a sodium solution. So they are naturally going to have some sodium in there. I would rather a person do that, cook most of their meals, and even add salt to the meals they're cooking than rely on a restaurant and eat from a package if they're trying to watch sodium. And again, this isn't backpacking. This is general population daily diet. Some foods, I feel like the general public is very aware, oh, there's a lot of salt in that. The prepackaged foods, potato chips, common ones, right? What are some that you, you've you noticed in your you know past with working with patients that we kind of are deceptive, right? That might have a lot of sodium that we don't realize, gosh, I'm really going a little overboard or people that are trying to have a more heart healthy diet should avoid that they don't think to. That's a good question. I, you know, like I think that it's a really good question and I want to believe that the biggest um, violators, the, the ones that would be like the most obvious are most obvious and most people know of them, but I have learned not to trust that. Um, most people are aware of really anything that comes from a can's naturally going to have higher sodium content. Almost any snack food in a bag, like pretzels or chips or crackers or any of those things, are going to have a higher sodium content. Any type of a frozen product, TV dinners, microwavable, whatever, pizzas, those are all going to have a higher sodium content. I would say one of maybe like maybe we could call it the sleeper is just bread everyday everyday bread like whether that's english muffins bagels sliced bread whatever and again do not let that drive you to stop buying bread we are talking about we are talking about a general population b if your intake's at 7000 milligrams probably should bring it down if you're at 3000 frankly i probably wouldn't worry about it even though it's over the general recommendation but you know I, I think that most the the most egregious violators, the ones that are going to be the highest in sodium, are probably obvious to the to most people. Do you think that that's true? I mean, you would know, like being around conversations you have with your friends, and I don't feel I'm. For those of you that don't know, I stay at home as a mom, and so I'm around moms and their children, and I feel like most all kids' snacks are likely full of salt, just because they are prepackaged. Um, the majority that I see being consumed are so. I don't feel like that's a concern with parents and children very often. I think having a concern about salt is seen as like, oh, my grandpa had bacon and eggs and like all this fatty food for all these years and he's a farmer and so he has a bad heart. Those are people that get, you know, the concern. So I'm sure there is misunderstandings out there. I don't hear it come up very much. But thinking about times that I feel very thirsty, where my hands feel swollen after eating something, where I really am craving water more than normal. I was thinking about the last time we went out to eat and I had a burger and fries with dressing and, you know, a cup of, you know, a glass of water. And I, this whole time I've been thinking, well, why did I get, why was I so thirsty? Why were my hands puffy when we left? Um, I wouldn't have thought those things have that much salt because I mean, the fries obviously come out salty, but um, a burger doesn't, I wouldn't have thought any of those things would have been salty. Yeah. And again, like it's the dose that makes the poison. So maybe the burger wasn't to blame. Maybe the bun alone wasn't to blame. Maybe the slice of cheese alone wasn't to blame. Maybe the peanuts that you get for free wasn't to blame. But stack compounding interest, like those stack up and they add quick. And you have to think too, like the folks living at 7,000, 8,000 milligrams, that's lunch. 
breakfast looked the same, dinner looked the same, their snacks looked the same. And so you can see pretty quick if that's your primary source of food, it adds up. It adds up really quick. Now, this has got nothing to do with whether or not it's healthy. It's got nothing to do whether or not any of these foods cause weight gain or weight loss or anything like that. We're talking strictly about sodium intake. You brought up a point about your your uh, your stay-at-home friends. What do you call them? Your mom friends? Yeah, your mom friends. I would say, oh, this is true. This is probably going to make some people upset, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. All of these healthy, natural, organic, gluten-free, all of these snacky foods, high sodium content. It doesn't matter if you bought it at Trader Joe's or if you bought it at, uh, what's the other one? Whole Foods or if you bought it at any of these places, high sodium content. And the best way to know if your kids like it, it's got salt in it. Because if you've ever tried to give a kid a saltless version of anything on the planet, that kid is not going to put that down the pipe no matter what. Right. So it's in, it is, I mean, you like if we're having trouble getting Grant to eat something, the go-to, I'm going to say this right here, <laughs> extra butter, more salt, that kid will eat it. <laughs> right. So it, it's the same. It, it's the same with, they can strap a label on it. They can put a matte finish on the bag to make you look like it's like some sort of artesian local mom and pop bag versus like a, you know, average American ruffles. It has as much sodium as anything else in it. And I would say that that is definitely a big place people overlook. They trust the marketing more than they trust the nutrition. And it is no more healthy than it's non insert every adjective you can think of counterpart for sure. All right. So that's the general population. You've got the zebra and the pack of horses, the people who do have chronic health issues for that group. You, it, it would be, it would be incredibly wise to limit your sodium intake as much as possible. And here's why, especially for folks with heart conditions, when you eat a lot of sodium, sodium retains fluid. The body naturally does not like that. It does not want to hold on to extra fluid. So to get rid of that extra fluid, it causes the heart to beat faster, to push more blood to the kidneys, to try to get that water off via you peeing as soon as possible. Prolonged periods of that or people who have a heart who that doesn't work very well, pr primary or a, a um, big population is uh, people with CHF heart failure, right? So if you've got 55% of your heart functioning like it, sh it should, then you're eating a lot of salt asking, saying, hey, hey, heart, could you work a little harder to get this extra fluid off of me? Now, all of a sudden, you're taxing an organ that already doesn't work well. And that would either A, reduce the quantity and quality of your life and not preserve the heart function you've got left, or B, well, I don't think you want to go down the route of B, <laughs> right, for the sake of, of sodium. So for that group, people with diagnosed kidney disease, diagnosed heart problems, definitely listen to your, if they're sane, your provider on a sodium reduction. Now we get to the backpacking group. Way too much worry about this. 
way, way, way too much worry about this in, in the back country. You, if you ate no sodium, you would experience the same type of swelling that you experience with salt. I hear so many people want to blame it on their backpacking food and you could eat a low sodium to no salt diet and still have an extreme amount of puffiness and swelling in your fingers and in your extremities, et cetera, largely because of altitude, the amount of output that you're doing. It's almost always hot in the summer. You're losing a lot of water. You're losing a lot of salt. So all of these uh, things can can collectively build and cause some of these issues. Another thing is people drink a lot of water in the backcountry usually. So you get what's called hyperhydration, which is extra hydration, losing salt through your sweat, not replacing it in your diet, and you can run into a really big problem really, really fast. So I do not worry even a little bit about sodium intake in the backcountry. Why do your tears and your sweat taste salty? Is that because water pulls the salt and that's how it comes out? Well, it's because, yes, but sodium is the most predominant electrolyte in sweat. It's just the composition of sweat. Now, you'll have people that exist on a spectrum that range from crazy amounts of salt loss in sweat to where you'll literally see salt stains on their on their back. I'm going to pick on Jake Havlicek, my man over at EXO. We went on a, uh, a hunt in September, he and Mark and I, crazy, no, October, crazy hot in October. <clears throat> and when he took his pack off at the end of the day, you could see a visible salt ring around his shirt. Other people, very, very little amounts of sodium lost in their sweat. But regardless of where you exist on the spectrum, there still is salt lost in your sweat and that has to be replaced if you are continuing the activity, especially if you're drinking a lot of water because you're also losing it via urine, et cetera. So like this obsession with wanting to go low sodium in the backcountry is a, a recipe for disaster for a lot of people. So you're saying that you need to replenish that. So there is a benefit to salt. What does the salt do with intake? So salt is a, it is a, it is a main electrolyte that's going to allow your muscles to contract. So especially if you're doing something very hard on the most extreme ends of the spectrum, if you were to continue to lose a lot of salt and sweat, if you were to continue to drink a lot of water and you're peeing out a lot of sodium, and if you continue to not, if you intentionally are not taking in more sodium on an extreme level, your blood sodium drops and that's hospitalization type stuff. Right. So you have to maintain an equilibrium in your blood. You have to maintain a certain equilibrium to maintain good muscle contraction and performance. So it depends on what you're doing. If you're running an ultra or you're doing like, even in the winter, if you're doing a, like a backcountry ski tour and you're not taking in sodium and you're sweating a lot, you're peeing a lot, you're drinking water because you're quote unquote trying to be healthy rather than having some sort of quote unquote sugar filled garbage electrolyte drink that has a lot of sodium, potential recipe for disaster. How do you know whether it's low blood sugar or low salt? There's a lot of ways. I mean, I I think that you, I don't think you could know for sure until you're in the situation and you're with someone who could identify the difference between two. The likelihood of you getting a low blood sugar is way higher than you getting a low blood sodium level. Now, I think that you, you would start to notice things like, um, oh, darn it, the 
word escapes me. Um, not Charlie horses, but cramps. Yes, thank you. You would start to notice <laughs> things like cramps in the muscles, etc., before your blood sodium levels would ever dip really low. Blood low blood sugar is pretty noticeable and that's i mean i would think that anybody who spends enough time outside doing things where they're asking a lot of their body has or will experience that at some point especially if they're not great at fueling does the term salt and the term sodium mean the same thing Mm, depends on how complicated you want to get with this let's just say generally speaking yes however Table salt is a composition of sodium and chloride with a lower percentage of sodium than chloride. So if you were going to make like your own at-home electrolyte drink and you wanted to you wanted to hit a certain sodium content, you would not weigh table salt because 60% of that measurement is going to be chloride, not sodium. So if you were wanting a true sodium intake, not affecting chloride you would have to either find something that's not table salt and actually pure sodium or you would have to account for the math on that being 40 percent sodium 60 percent chloride but generally speaking like when you look at a food label they will use sodium interchangeably with salt or they will use sodium as a measurement for the quantity of salt in that product I've heard it said that, you know, sometimes your eye will twitch. <laughs> I promise it's related. Sometimes your eye will twitch. Is that related to this? Is that <laughs> some people say I need more water, but I wonder if that's related. No, <laughs> I, no I think uh, I think if uh, your if your eyes if your eyes twitching, maybe you got something in no. it. I don't think that it's got anything. <laughs> I know what people say, but like people say a lot of really wild stuff. The questions, the question isn't whether or not people say it, it's whether or not it's true. And I, could it, yes, sure, could it happen? Is it like a primary <laughs> diagnosum, yeah, diagnosable symptom? No. So the sodium story is this. The dose is what's going to make the poison, and the dose is largely going to depend upon whether or not you have a chronic health issue. If you don't, the dose is still going to make the poison. And I think that that exists on a spectrum. You don't want to be, you don't want to avoid salt to extreme amounts because that can have problems. You also don't want to live on 7,000 milligrams per day. And if you're curious where you live, log your food, spend some time in my fitness pal, log what you eat for a week, and it will tell you what your average sodium intake has been for that week. If, if you're worried about it, if you, I personally wouldn't be. If you're in the backcountry, I definitely wouldn't worry about it. We wrote another article on this that I'll link in the uh, in the show notes so you can check that out. But long story of it is this. You're sweating a lot. You're drinking a lot of water. You need sodium replacement to continue um, push making the push for whatever it is that you're taking on. So I would not worry about it in the backcountry either. As always, if you've got any questions that you would like answered, you can email those to us at info at v2pnutrition.com. And we would love to add those to the episodes that we do. Um, part of, if I'm honest, part of the reason we did and committed to monthly or biweekly episodes is I just wanted to be sure that I had enough good information to put out there as opposed to just random tidbits trying to meet a time or a show episode quota. 
but you guys have sent so many in that you know we could technically do one per week uh, so feel free yeah if you've got questions send those to info at v2pnutrition.com and we'd be happy to put those on appreciate you guys joining us and we will talk to you again soon